Filmmakers make films, but films make filmmakers. From blockbuster premieres to grindhouse theaters, late night cable to the local video store, there is no greater classroom for aspiring filmmakers than cinema itself. Join your host, Eric Skorzynski, as he dives deep into the minds of legendary directors, producers, actors, and more to discover their biggest influences and to explore the impact their films are leaving behind. This is Film School. Grab your popcorn. Class is about to begin. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Film School podcast. Today's guest is the one and only Sean McDaniel. Sean is the cinematographer for the film Malum, which drops in theaters tonight, March 31st, 2023. So if you're listening to this episode on the day of its release, be sure to grab your tickets and check out Malum in a theater near you. Malum is a reimagining of the 2014 horror film Last Shift, which I highly recommend you check out. Uh, it's available to stream on many different platforms and it is well worth your time. Uh, we talk a lot about what it's like revisiting a film with a cult following. We talk about shooting in an abandoned police station. Uh, we talk a little bit about going to film school at USC and whether or not that was a valuable use of Sean's time. And then we have a great conversation about the influences for Malum, including films like Evil Dead and Seven. We talk a little bit about Roger Deakins and And at the very end of the episode, we do the questions we ask every guest that comes on the show, and he tells me what he thinks the absolute best year of movies is, and I think you'll be shocked to hear what it is. So listen to this full episode with Sean McDaniel. Grab your tickets to go check out Malum, and before you do that, go ahead and watch Last Shift if you haven't already. This episode is a ton of fun. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening to the Film School Podcast, and here is my guest, Sean. Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on. And uh, I was uh, trying to find lots of information about you uh, before this uh, for this conversation. And if I am correct with my information, um, your dad kind of influenced you to get creative in the very beginning. Yeah, no, I mean, I was really lucky. Both my parents were really supportive of me wanting to to be, you know, kind of do something that was creative. And then, yeah, specifically getting into making movies and cinematography. Um, my dad is a glass artist and I would like work with him on his projects when I was with mm-hmm. him. And then at night we would watch movies and we would watch like sometimes two or three movies a night. And he was the one who showed me like from a pretty young age, like Kurosawa, Antonioni, Godard, and mm-hmm. kind of like opened my eyes to, you know, what cinema could really be. Uh, and then, yeah, it got me similar, like one of those digital stills cameras and, I think it was like maybe 30 seconds was the maximum clip it would record. And so I was like, all right, that's what I got. And I think I was using, you know, whatever iMovie came on the the laptop that I had at the time and would just make stuff and kind of went from there and then graduated to like mini DV. Um, That was a lot of like high school and undergrad. Um, And I remember that I worked at a local ABC affiliate in college and they had was it Panasonic's? I think that had like the P2 cards. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the big deal. That was like, oh, now you don't have to sit there and capture. At least you can go in and just like transfer it from the card. You don't have to sit and wait while it rolls through the tape. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it was, I mean, yeah, I was really lucky that I like had that opportunity to start kind of messing around with things from such a young age. I mean, I honestly like can't remember a time that I wasn't kind of. <laughs> You right. know, had a camera and, and was messing around. So yeah, um, not, yeah, it just kind of feels like it's what I've been doing my whole life. 
Yeah. I always tell people like, that's how I played. Like literally when I was really little, we had like a, uh, my friend's dad had a, his dad was like, just one of those dads that just bought cameras for no reason. It's like, you don't shoot anything. You don't do. So it was like, yeah, it's like every time we get a new one, we'd get an old one. So it's like, here's a VHS camera. You can play with that. And then it was like, here's a digital camera. And then here's a mini DV. And then waiting for those tapes to like, actually all like everything you shot, you had to wait for it to play through to get on your computer to yeah. put into like movie maker, you know, it was, it was really exciting mm-hmm. stuff. Oh, um, yeah. That's actually probably what I was using. I forgot. Yeah. It's not what you're yeah. still using, right? You're not still using no. movie maker. Yeah. You've moved out. No. Um, so, so I know you spent some time in college, you went to USC, did uh, worked quite a bit uh, doing news and, and all that kind of stuff. Like um, going to USC was the goal to be able to shoot anything or did you have a goal of like, I want to be a director. I want to do this. And then cinematography kind of emerged as like, oh, that's the thing. Like what was the the original path and direction? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, when I was a kid, um, I just did everything. Like I would write it, direct it, shoot it, edit, did some terrible scores for the, the shorts as well. Um, and everything except being in front of the camera. Um, mm. I, would, I would con people into doing that for me. Um and then, yeah, so that was kind of what I thought the goal was, but I, I was always more interested in the camera as well. Mm-hmm. Like that was definitely when I was making those things, kind of talking about blocking and framing and as much lighting as you could do at the time, what I had. Um, that was always kind of the focus. And then as I got to meet other people who wanted to make movies and were better at certain things, then I kind of was more and more behind the camera. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, definitely realizing, oh, like, this is where I belong. And, you know, a lot of the jobs I was doing was work in cinematography. So either shooting for local news for a little while in college, and then um, I was in Atlanta for a bit before I came out to USC and um, was shooting, like, local commercial stuff and things like that and still doing my own stuff and shooting other people's projects and things like that. Um, And then, yeah, once I got to USC, it was definitely... I kind of knew going in um, the first semester, kind of everybody, even no matter, even if you come in with like a specialty that you know you want to do, they're still like, hey, you're going to make some films like right. in groups. You do like one kind of on your own and then you do a few in like these trios. Um, so no matter what, you're going to do that. And then at that, they're like, OK, now you can go branch off if you would like to and do your specialty. Um, mm-hmm. And pretty quickly, once I got to work with all the the great people there who were my collaborators, I was like, oh, OK, like. I always kind of had a hint that I was like cinematography was really where I should be. And then right. once you meet all the people, you're like, that's it. Like that's, you know, that's where I should be. And so then it was like full steam ahead, you know, cinematography. So right, right. it was really great clarity there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely curious to ask you about schooling. Um, but I do want to circle back. Cause you said you'd never done anything in front of the camera. Was it because you were reticent to be in front of the camera and like that seemed like the worst nightmare or was it something where it just never happened? And <laughs> yeah, not, not a fan of it. I guess I, I was in one of my buddies. I was in like one of his things for two seconds and uh, I was doing... two seconds too many. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm better behind the camera with USC. I mean, that's kind of like Mecca for aspiring filmmakers. Um, you know, we hear legendary stories of, you know, all these different people, George Lucas, you know, Coppola, like all these people that, that attended. Um, And in the, you know, since then, I mean, there's been a lot of debate about like film school. Do you go to college for, you know, do you just pick Mm -hmm. up a camera and go Uh, looking back 
retrospectively, like, do you see USC as a pivotal place in your career? Do you look back as like, oh, potentially if I just started working, I would have gone for it? Like, mm-hmm. how do you view film school now? I guess now that you're out of it, through it, and actually, you know, working in the industry. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like really particular to the person. Like, I, I think the thing that was good for me, honestly, was just meeting all the people that I still work with now. Like, it was a great experience. There were great professors. Um, you know, the classes were good, but for me, it was just meeting all these people and really like so many of them I do still work with. Mm. And then, you know, I know them and then they know people. It just creates this network. Um, that's just, you know, really great to have. Um, and then just opportunities to shoot. Like I, there's something, you know, it was like, and and a lot of that's like what you make of it. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure all these programs are kind of the same to a, a degree, but like, if you wanted to, you could go through, I think any of them really, and not get as much hands-on kind of experience as you would want. But mm-hmm. if you, you know, push for it, you can, like, for me, it was like, Hey, you're shoot. you have a directing assignment that you need to do. Do you want me to shoot that for you? You know, like, Right. It's not technically my class, but it was like, you know, as soon as people were doing those projects, let me get on them. Let me do whatever I could. And then same thing. Once you get to like thesis films, I think I shot like four or five or something. It was just like, oh, wow. you know, yeah. I was just getting in the reps. It was just do it. And they were all different. Like, I think each literally each one of them was like a different. There was like a horror one. There was one that was just kind of more of a drama. One was kind of like a something almost like her kind of like a sci fi, but not mm-hmm. like hard sci fi. Um, yeah, it was just like pretty much every, and then I did that kind of on purpose too. It was like, well, mm-hmm. one is just, I, you know, finding good collaborators and good scripts, but also it was like, Hey, let's, let's like try something in each one of these. Um, right. so I think that was really the best part of it was just getting in the, getting in the reps, really just being on set as yeah. much as possible, which yeah. is my favorite part. Like to me, right. being on set, that's, and that's another reason why cinematography, I was like, you get to do that, you know, the most, like as a director for me, it's like getting, it was always about like getting to focus on the visuals and being on set. And when you're young, you don't understand like, oh, well, that's just the director of photography. Like that's, right. that's what I wanted to do the whole time. You just, you know, when you're a kid, you don't understand. You just think, oh, the director, they make the movie. Yeah. There's literally in your mind as a kid, you're like, there's the director and the actors. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's a hundred percent it, you know, and um, there's yeah. so many other, other pieces, um, you know, getting started in the career side. I mean, you've done, a ton with like shorts and music videos and, and commercials and things. Um, you know, when's the first time getting out of film school that you worked on a project and went, this is incredibly like, this is it. This is what I've been working for. And, like this feels incredibly artistically fulfilling. Like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Like when's the first yeah. time you remember having that feeling of like, Oh, I'm a professional now I'm doing this now. Sure. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, I don't know. I mean, I feel pretty lucky on every project, really. Um, I mean, I guess the, I mean, like the first feature is obviously that, that was always like the thing, right? Like when you're mm-hmm. a kid, you're like, I love watching movies. I want to make movies. Yeah. Uh, and I love doing shorts and commercials and all these different things. Um, but yeah, for me, getting to work on features is definitely, you know, kind of my favorite part of it. Like that's, it's, you know, getting to work with people on something that's long enough where you can really develop. Yeah. the relationship and like it kind of the experience grows and, and it kind of it feels like it takes a life of its own but it's really just everybody syncing up creatively and understanding what you're doing and it just creates this kind of engine that just yeah it feels sure. it kind of feels great when it's working so well 
Yeah, that's but, awesome. Yeah, I think yeah, the first feature was probably the one where I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this this is has been the goal for many years. <laughs> like, right, right. That was nice. So yeah, it was happening. Well, well you mentioned um, trying so many different genres in school, and I'm very curious to know the answer to this question because it'll definitely affect the conversation regarding the rest of this. Um, you mentioned you did like horror, sci-fi, a drama. Did you have certain genres that you were drawn to and wanting to work in? I know obviously it's exciting to tip your toe in everything, but like, did you enjoy horror? Did you enjoy sci-fi? Like, were you going, I want to work on a Western really bad, you know, like what Mm -hmm. what was kind of your leaning um, when you were thinking about what kind of projects you wanted to work on? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the thing. I really do love pretty much every genre and that's, I like the variety of getting to work Mm -hmm. in so many different genres. Like, I mean, when I was a kid and first discovering, you know, kind of cinema at a de- in a deeper way, I would literally just go to like blockbuster Hollywood video and be like, all right, for a while, I'm just going to do like the Western section and just go through and was like cataloging almost just like making my way through. And I was like, all right, now let's do action cinema and then go through that and then international cinema. And so, I mean, I've always been, I've always had a pretty broad, like all, like in the same day, I'll watch like a Tarkovsky movie and then I'll go watch The Raid. You know, like that's right. I don't know. I just I they all work for me. And so it's kind of the same way. Like I would love to go make something that is like this on the level. I mean, Tarkovsky is like a master, but to go make projects like that and then, yeah, go shoot like like a John Wick or Raid or something would be amazing. Like I would love to to go shoot a crazy action movie as well. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I really like all of them. Like to me, that's the challenge is fun. And I like adapting to what any project is like. To me, my whole thing is that I should come in and not force my style on something, but mm. let the movie tell me how to adapt around it. And so the genres really let you kind of play even more with that and find ways to kind of change how you think about working and what you think about, you know, how you think lighting should work or framing mm. or that stuff. To me, it like it just helps you learn and kind of like push yourself every time you're trying something so different. Right, right. I, I want to ask about that because that's something that's, always interesting is like every cinematographer has their own style you know like when you watch a roger deakins movie well yeah you know if you don't know it's him you start Mm -hmm. going i think this is a deakins movie you know or if you're whoever you want to fill in the blank with with any cinematographer like when you start watching a movie you can you can kind of see that's their style but like you said it can't overtake the movie um you Mm -hmm. know so you have collaborators you know like um Spielberg and his cinematographer have worked together. He had mm-hmm. first half his career with one, second half with the other. Like you can yeah. tell that distinct style. What do you think? I've asked a couple of different creatives this. Like, what do you think is the balance of bringing your style and your tone and your your I guess visual trademarks or or look to a film? Because that's obviously why you got hired is because you provide a certain aesthetic or look they liked. Yeah, like. Where's that balance of delivering that, but also like being invisible? Like, yeah, is that kind of rest? I don't know. I think that's like <laughs> the thing that I'll just be <laughs> trying to figure out for, forever. Forever, yeah. I mean, to me, that's probably part of the thing, right? Like, I don't know that that ever gets answered. I mean, it's tricky for me when if people ask, like, "Oh, what's your style?" I honestly like don't know what that answer mm. is. I'm sure. I think it's easier if someone were to tell me, like, "Hey, watch all my stuff." I'm sure you can tell me, like, what. Yeah it is i'm sure they're in there um i mean like there's definitely like lens choices i lean towards it doesn't mean that that's what i force on a project but Mm -hmm. like you know we all it's everyone has their own taste right and so it's all about like 
oh, like my face syncs up this director. And so that's probably why we're going to be able to get along and work well together. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, like I have my penchant for, for certain things, but um, I really do try. I mean, that's like one of my favorite things is, is like prepping. And I like to prep as much as possible, uh, as fast as possible on a project when I'm, it's pretty much as soon as I'm on board, I'm like already prepping, even if we haven't right, officially yeah. started prep yet. Um, cause for me, what I like to do is like calibrate myself, uh, to the movie. So like, um, it's like references, diagrams, making all these things, shot lists. And then like, even when they're done, I'm just kind of like going over them again. And sometimes it's not even to change anything or to update anything, but to just kind of like burn it into my brain. And I'm just like trying to calibrate myself so that when we walk on set, if I'm going to change anything or if anything's going to just, you know, all the, the things that pop up on the day. I need my brain to work in the way of the movie so that I make right. the correct choice that fits the movie and not what my instincts would be. So right. I, yeah. I really try to do that as much as possible, but I'm sure there's things that people would be like, Oh yeah, when I watch all your movies, you also tend to do this or that. Right. Um, I'm sure they're in there. I mean, someone like DTMC, I mean, he's definitely like one of my favorites. Obviously. I mean, it has to be, I mean, like if he's not in your three for like every cinematographer, you know, it's like, there he yeah, is. I mean, it's yeah. Um, but yeah, he definitely has his things and he's also, they've also changed with him over time. Like he's, I feel like he's, I mean, he was always into trying to use practicals and motivate from practicals, but now with digital cameras, he's like pushing that even harder and just being like, yeah, this is all practicals. Like we're, we're barely, you know, they might be modifying all of them and adding all of them, mm -hmm. but um, so yeah, even, even he's changing, but yeah, he's, he has his, his things he tends towards, but, right. um, it's pretty, I feel like, I think, you know, we know cause we're looking and we're watching, but sure. it's pretty invisible to, to the, yeah. To someone who's just watching the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I want to talk about Malum here in just a second. Um, cause yeah, I, yeah. I, I have lots of questions about that, but I got to ask you, you mentioned like lens preferences and, uh, mm -hmm. I was just had a long one-sided nerdy conversation with my wife i'm sure she didn't enjoy it uh but we were watching <laughs> right we were watching uh mission impossible 2 which is mm -hmm. not a great movie um right. but I mean, if you just want to talk about mission impossible i could do it but sorry go ahead yeah we've we just started going back through them because well I, I that's what i do is like i always find excuses like this new one's coming out so now we have to rewatch like mm -hmm. and and any excuse to go back to de, de palma's first one is like yes. yeah let's let's go yes. so um um, so we started watching through them. We get to Mission Impossible 2. Like, I was almost like, you know, we could just watch the motorcycle chase and then be done, you know? Yeah. But, but ended up watching the movie. And one of the things I really liked about it is it's, it's from early 2000s, like, and it has a lot of that, you know, teal and orange, like super telephoto lens, like way, way back. You've got all these compressed yeah. images. And I was like, this is actually a really cool looking movie. Like, which I think was the goal is just like, how do we make this super cool? And yeah, dude, yeah. like explosions. And, um, and I was, I was sitting there, I was going like, man, it seems like the telephoto lens situation has really gone away in the last couple mm -hmm. of years. Like everything I've watched recently has been, you know, kind of that Kubrick style, really wide, let's show the mm -hmm. full environment, the people like even close-ups now are like wide angle lenses because it distorts their face in a weird way. Like you watch the lighthouse mm -hmm. or whatever, whatever movie. Yeah. You want to throw in. Um, and I was, I was telling her, I was like, I kind of miss this look. Like I miss mm -hmm. the Michael Bay early two thousands, like the really compressed, but huge images. Um, yeah. When you talk like lens preferences, like 
what what's kind of the style that you really enjoy like when you're watching something like i love that aesthetic um and that you try to bring into projects if you can like i know obviously you want to fit the movie but if you're like man if they let me shoot it this way like i'm always going to whip out this lens or this style yeah yeah i mean so i do have i tend towards like wider wider lenses not necessarily like you know Kashai, like 10, 10 millimeter in right. someone's face all the time. But um, to me, there's like a little more presence that you get. You feel mm. like you're there and you're with everybody. If you just have a wider lens in general, like to me, it just brings you, it brings you in, um, which yeah. is a little weird, right? Because in some ways you would think further the longer away. lens would be. Yeah. But, um, but to me, it's like you're saying that makes it feel more flat, more like a photograph. Mm. Um Whereas like on a wider lens and even closer to people, if you balance it right. So yeah, you aren't just distorting. Um, I don't know. You just feel like you're like there, you're in it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, that is what I tend towards, but like for the right project, then, you know, and again, it's not like I'm always like, Hey, we should always just shoot on wide lenses. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that would just be like my natural tendency. But the thing is like, and my thing with lenses too, is I usually try to pick, um and also just kind of starts to happen in the movie based on your locations and what's happening i usually end up shooting like most of a movie on like about like three lenses for like mm-hmm. 60 to 70 percent of it maybe and then you know then you feel the difference when suddenly you are on a long lens or oh we've been on long lenses the whole time and now we're on a big yeah. wide lens like it's a choice for that, this shot you know yeah it, it makes you like feel something and so that's that's a big thing for me is just determining like oh what is our kind of like what feels like our standard way that we're like seeing this, even if we are shifting between angles, like you build a language that people are used to, and then you can like break that rule or stick mm-hmm. to that rule. And all of that means something I do like setting up rules to a degree, whether it be mm-hmm. for lighting or camera work or, or framing or movement. Um, and then, so we can build that language and then we can, you know, really say something if we break it or change or change it over the movie, like, Oh, the, the rules are this and then as the movie goes on and hopefully and it's usually trying to be all like subtle things that you don't really notice right. obviously but subconsciously hopefully they're like they're doing their work yeah absolutely well i, I want to talk about your latest project uh malum which mm-hmm. um is i'm really excited to check it out um and last shift is a movie that uh, i mean has just developed a huge cult following over time um and i think partially just because it sits in the Netflix queue with this really creepy image and everybody at some point, you know, goes it's 2 AM and I want to watch a scary movie. What's that creepy movie right here. And they watch it. Like I watched it. I had never seen a trailer for it. Like I just literally clicked it and was like, this looks kind of weird. And, um, and I think that's the way to go into it. Honestly, is, is just going in blind. Um, first and foremost, were you familiar with last shift at all, um, prior to, you know, getting connected to this movie um and then once you know okay this is a movie that's developed a bit of a cult following it's known for being like having really cool visuals like Mm -hmm. did you feel intimidated at all stepping into it versus stepping into something that you know nobody knows anything about the project sure yeah that's funny i actually thought about the second part so i guess not um but yes i i was a fan now um, the panic sets in slowly yeah no, no, no. i mean i definitely am feeling it now because you see people like comment on trailers and stuff and don't read know, those there's people who <laughs> I know, you, like, don't read the comments you, you scroll through a little bit you just want to see i 
I, uh, I'm, I'm always curious how, like, you know, it plays for people and stuff. Um, especially this one, cause it's just so fun. Like it's such a fun ride. So I'm always curious how people feel about that, but yeah, so I did, I had seen, um, the first one I was a fan and, um, but I remember like, as soon as kind of Anthony had told me he was, I'd heard about it before things were kind of like locked in. I was like, Oh, we're doing kind of a, a reimagining and, and mm-hmm. really taking things even further going kind of bigger and story, everything story effects scares and i was like well that sounds cool like i mean i don't i mean i get it when people are like oh a remake why are you doing this mm-hmm. remake but to me and they you know they kind of came up with this reimagining term and i actually think it does fit it was like oh that was a good idea to bring a different term to this because um i don't know it really expanded on a lot of the stuff that i was like oh i would want to see more about that like more about the cults more of like an investigation mm-hmm. elements um Talking about all the genre stuff, like I'm definitely a big sucker for kind of noir and any of those, like, you know, all the presidents met, like any of these, like, or um, Parallax View, anything where someone's like, there's like conspiracies or cult stuff, people are looking into things, going through paperwork, you know, looking at computers, like, for some reason, just investigation and cinema really works for me. So I was like, oh, if you want to take that and then combine that with like a really crazy horror movie, that sounds pretty great Mm. to me. Um, and so that added element really, I thought kind of boosted it and kind of justified like, oh yeah, that's why you should, you know, give a, give this another go. And, you know, audiences, like you were saying, like that movie, I mean, I think people were into it and it did, it did, um, get some good viewership at the time, but I think it didn't get as wide a release as really it deserved. And so this is just another way to like kind of bring it to people. Um, cause you know, it's been, it's been a little while. I think it's been almost 10 years. So yeah, um, seven or eight, I think. Just, yeah. Um, just, yeah. Just a nice way to bring, bring it to a new audience. Um, and the nice thing is you can get both. Like, I think that for, I like both of them. Like I would still watch either. Um, so it doesn't, it's not like it's saying, Oh, like that first one was bad or anything. It, <laughs> right. It's just like, Hey, it's honestly, it's, Hey, that movie was still great. And they had stuff that, you know, you couldn't quite do in your time time and your budget and it's like so let's, yeah. yeah let's take the opportunity to do that more stuff so yeah I, i'm a big fan of seeing creators get just a little bit more money a little bit more time yeah. and get to do something bigger and i i one of the first questions that was just rolling through my mind all morning thinking about this was like how much of this is remake versus reimagining versus new direction you know because watching the watching the trailer it's like we already know here's the premise and then yeah. it seems like just bigger. Like there's other locations <laughs> besides mm-hmm. uh, at least in the trailer, there's a few other locations besides the police station. Like it, there's more people in certain mm-hmm. scenes, more extra, like it, yeah. it just seems a little bit bigger. And, um, you know, and, and I think we kind of saw that even, um, like Damon Leone with uh terrifier, you know, like you see mm-hmm. him do something with a micro micro budget and then you see terrifier two, which is in many ways you could go into it without having seen the first and, you've got this crazy huge movie, which how they shot that for $250,000. I don't understand. Um, and it seems like this is kind of the same vibe. It's like here, it's a little bit bigger, a little bit better um, g- going into it with it being a reimagining of sorts. How much were you revisiting last shift to look at the visual style of that versus sitting down with, with Anthony and going, okay, clean slate, this is the premise. Let's build this from scratch, from the ground up. Like how much was going back to the known visuals versus creating completely new visuals? 
Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did do a few rewatches, um, like not before we were actually prepping or shooting, but just kind of right around the time that Anthony said they were working on it. And then I actually kind of purposefully, like, I don't think I'm going to watch it for a little while. Don't want to just be um, photocopying just like, scenes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause I think, and, and Anthony, and when we sat down that, that, I mean, we, I don't know that we ever really, we talked about it more when he kind of told me he was like working on it in the initial phase and kind of still like writing before I'd read anything. And that's when we would talk about the, the first movie. And then once I read the script for this one, we kind of, it never really went back to it. And mm. that was really just because it did feel like a different movie. Like to me reading this one, I had so many kind of new things to think about visually that uh, even before we found locations that I was like, I don't know. I just had a lot to key in on that was so different that there wasn't really, I don't know, like any reason to go back. It it didn't feel, it's like it has the same premise. And there's like a few scenes, I would say, that it's kind of like, hey, if you know the first movie, this is us like doing it again, but like messing with it. Um, but other than that, like it's it's pretty much its own thing. Like the the vibe overall feels different. And then it gets pretty wild. I don't think people are quite ready for where it goes. Um, yeah, I, I saw it. I saw someone's review and they said, uh, they said there's a lot more gore, um, which I thought was interesting. I, I think they actually yeah. said it was <laughs> circling back to terrifiers. They said it was like terrifier two level gore. And I was like, what? <laughs> that seems, it, I, I don't foresee that, but, uh, yeah, but it, this movie that? goes hard. That's one of the things I liked about it in the script. It, it, uh, it, the, it just has great momentum. Like that, that was the thing. Like I read the script so fast, like it just read really fast. Um, Cause you just were like wanting to, you're like, yep, next thing, let's go, let's go, mm -hmm. let's go. It just doesn't feel like it has any breaks. Um, and then, yeah, like pretty quickly, it, it's not one of the, I mean, I like a lot of horror, but there, a lot of it also can do that thing where it's like, you just like wait around and nothing's happening. And then it's mm -hmm. like, Hey, let me give you like 15 minutes of crazy stuff at the end. Right. And this movie, I, this movie does not do that. This movie gets to it quick and just keeps upping, 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 which I really enjoyed. I'm like, Hey, let's do it. Like that's, yeah. That's what we're here to do. I mean, in our schedule, pretty quickly, we got to the point where we're like, oh, like, we've already shot all the days that don't have stunts or special effects mm -hmm. makeup. So that's all we have for like the whole rest of like every day. We're going to have to do one of these things or both. So ran wrap the camera for this, this section. Yeah, there, were lots of, <laughs> there was lots of baggots and, and things going on. Sure. Um, but yeah, but that, yeah, that was great. And that's what was fun about it. And the, and the big thing, too, is the stations. Like the first movie has a very different kind of station than ours very different from that one and i think they made like great choices that's why that first one looks good like they it fits the look of that station has this desaturated kind of high key but you've got the white walls and everything the whole station kind of looks the same too so it kind of makes sense like let's build a very distinct look that is set um and then our station was just this really weird building that was like four stories and we had actually had to try to make it look smaller. It was one of our big things that we had to do when we walked in. Cause we're like, this is too big. Um, but it has so many different looks. There's like areas that do have that same like cinder block mm -hmm. kind of thing, but not, we're not there too often. And then there's areas that have like green tile that looks like it's from like the shining bathroom. Like it's, uh, it, it was just had, there's areas that had like wood everywhere on the walls, which you see a tiny bit where we kind of stayed away from those. But yeah, we just had like so much variety that was like, oh, like even if we had sat down and been like, do we want to reference the first movie visually? There really wouldn't have been a way to do it because it yeah. just looked 
with so how claustrophobic are. that first one is like because the yeah that whole movie has the haunted house feel like i'm in this narrow hallway i'm in this small mm-hmm. room yeah. and um yeah it, it, you, you mentioned shooting with like the practical effects stunts mm-hmm. things like that which it seems has been amped up quite a bit um did you how is that collaboration i guess with the teams doing makeup effects because because that's something I've interviewed a couple of people who do like practical effects and things. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's one of the things they talk about is like, whoever's shooting it really matters because you can start mm-hmm. seeing the seams really quickly. Like how much of a learning yeah. curve was that? Cause I, I can't imagine anything else you've worked on to this point has had a lot of that. So like, was that a, a steep learning curve? Um, no, I mean, I've done um, a few projects that had, um, you know, stuff that was, was similar. Um, <laughs> It was really just that it was like the volume, I guess. Like I, I've worked with with prosthetics and things like that, and people in big suits and gotcha. um and things like that. But this this was really just volume. Like it was just it was a lot. Like ten every, gallons like of blood. And so yeah, one gallon of blood. And just like how much it was like literally. I think after our first week, we were just like there's something every day, um, mm-hmm. and you want to take your time and make that stuff you know look great and do it right. And so. And and then when you're doing that stuff, you still have to get performance. It's not even just about, you know, the makeup effect. There's also you're probably shooting someone responding to it or someone in it who needs to do the work as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all that stuff, it's really just about like time and being prepared. Like that's, you know, it's just having meetings ahead of time, knowing how things are going to work, um, how long it takes for things to get applied. If there's changes, you know, clean up all that stuff. Um so yeah, it's just really about like your due diligence and prep. Um, yeah. And like I said, I just love prepping as much as possible. And we were there for about like a month beforehand, uh, me and oh, wow. Anthony, a lot of the other keys, um, uh, you know, in Kentucky on location prepping. Um, and that was super helpful. Like that's, yeah. you know, that's, that's a lot of time key. to get, which is pretty, pretty cool. Um, it was, yeah, yeah. It was necessary though. We used all of it for sure. Yeah. What what was that location before? Because it wasn't, I mean, obviously it wasn't a police station. Like, what was that building prior? Oh, it, is. Is it, is oh, it, it was a former police station. Yeah, yeah. So okay. um, they were getting ready to to knock it down. No one had been in there since. Um, you're when you're going, wait, started. this is the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the no, last I mean, shift here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think once they, when they found that location, they found it before uh, I was like officially on board. And it was just like, okay, here we go. We got to go. Like you got to kick it in gear because they want to demolish this place. And um, Mm. so, yeah, no, it's, it was wild. It has, like I said, four stories has this like interesting basement level. The whole top level is like an actual, like not like a full prison, but it has holding cells kind of set up for that. And then had a gymnasium, like a full gymnasium in there as well, which was interesting, which we kind of turned and we shoot in there a little and there's a little bit, it's almost became like a soundstage for us. You could build your sets in there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it uh, yeah it uh, it really provided a lot of the opportunity for us, and it, yeah, it really was. It was like, oh, this is it. This is the perfect spot. So yeah, yeah, it's great. You love prep. I've gotten that loud and clear. You love prep. Uh, <laughs> prep is your favorite. Yeah, all, the, all, all the prep. Um, it's not. Well, you hit a point where you're like, it happens. Like towards the end of prep, I'm like, I'm just so ready to get on. Like, let's just start and do it. Yeah. Um, but then there's still always more time where you're like. I don't know. We can go over more. We can make. You yeah. Know. You're prepared to improvise. Basically. It sounds like, like mm-hmm. it's, if I go knowing this is frontward and backwards, this is what I can do. 
It gives you that yeah. freedom where it's like, oh, the light looks really cool through these bars, or this looks really sweet in this room. Um, yeah. You know, you mentioned kind of putting putting the original out of your mind a little bit, but you mentioned like you love looking through, like making diagrams and looking through other films. What were like maybe the two or three movies that you feel like you you watched or looked at that influenced kind of your style looking at this project, you know, cause you, I, when I talked to someone like Elliot rocket with X, it's like, obviously there's text chainsaw massacre, but there's also easy writer. And like, there's these other movies you would mm-hmm. never think of uh, what were kind of your sure. biggest influences or, or films you kept referencing. Yeah. Um, Anthony and I talked a lot about like sinister um, mm. and the, uh, the evil dead remake. The Fede Alvarez. Gotcha. Um, Why the remake the, specifically? I think because the the horror is really for the the horror moments. Um, that movie you get like this one kind of goes it goes hard and it's like pretty right. pretty brutal and and intense. And so that was that was kind of what we were picking from from there. Was just really talking about how to to really make that stuff feel intense and visceral. And um, and it'd been a while since I had watched it and. Um, I remember those moments being pretty impactful and then like watching those scenes again, I was like, oh yeah, this movie is like pretty, pretty great in those moments when they like the stuff in the bathroom with the, the needle and the eye. Yeah. It's uh, it's a lot. So um, yeah, that was definitely an influence there for me for lighting. Um, like there's Kanji's work in seven, of course, like mm-hmm. you're working, I feel like on anything in fluorescence and in a police station, it's, it's pretty hard not to want to take a look again at that um and flashlights too um and then uh speaking of deacons uh prisoners was definitely one for mm. lighting as well um especially for exteriors the way he just went all off practicals no no you know no moonlight and just um it just kind of fit i think for what we were doing as well so it's always good to have a good excuse to watch prisoners again right yeah um no i i love the shot in the trailer like going through the city where you've got like the red and blue lights flashing on everybody. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah. And a uh, funny story, evil dead. The remake was the first movie I ever saw in theaters. <laughs> so, oh, wow. um, so I, I grew up like super religious background was not allowed to go to movies mm-hmm. at all. Um, mm-hmm. And when I turned, I turned 18 in 2013 when that came out. And that was literally like the, I think it came out in like April. My birthday was in March. So like the, like the day I turned 18, I was like, see you guys. I'm going to go see evil dead. It was like a packed theater. And like all those moments, like the, I mean, grabbing the lid off the toilet and like smash, like the reactions of the packed theater people that probably didn't expect, like didn't know what evil dead was, was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that excites me that that's a reference point. That's quite a turn to be like can't, can't, go. can't go to the movies. Quite a, yeah, quite a first movie to so, uh, to go to. Yeah, I mean, so we actually we had we had the premiere last night, which was really fun to see it. Uh, you know, at the full house, and yeah, it was really great to get to see everyone's reactions to everything. It's yeah, similar. It's like watching people who you know you see it so many times, I and mean, so it's great. To, right, right. You know, don't know what's coming. Going into a premiere, and you know showing a room full of people you work like how sweaty are your hands <laughs> going into a theater like that watching like yeah. th- were you going is there a split second emotionally where you're like what if everyone hates us <laughs> you know and then when you start seeing people scream or start seeing people laugh at something that they should be laughing at or you start seeing people like really sucked in like um you know how does that feel like seeing something you've created 
get shown on this level and and with this much buzz and excitement about it. Yeah, no, it's I mean it's really fun. I mean, for me, I love just doing the work. And so ultimately, if it really came down to it that I just made stuff and no one saw it, I'd honestly think it'd still be okay. <laughs> like right. Um, but it's like so great when you make it and you're like, oh, people actually like it. That's awesome. That is ultimately why we're doing it is to to make something for people to to be entertained and have a good time. And um, I mean, for, for me, my big thing is just I go into a premiere or any screening. I'm like, oh, I'm curious to see what the projections like. And, mm. you know, it everything looks so different on every format that, yeah. you know, you you're in the grade and you try to make it the best quality for the best viewing scenario. And then no one will ever probably actually see it that way. Yeah. Um, and I actually did projection way, way back in the day when it was still film. Um, so I don't know. I'm like extra picky about that stuff. So that's, sure. that's always my main thing going in is like, what, what's the, what's the projection going to be like? Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was pretty good, but, um, yeah, but it's great when like it kicks in and you can just tell when you're in a room watching it with people, uh, even for like, you know, test screenings or when you're just showing it to a couple people, a cut or something. You can, it's just so different sitting in a room with people, even if it is like two people versus when it's just, you know, you at a computer screen. Right. Um, And so you can tell pretty quickly, um, (laughs) which is kind of nice because you can be like, okay, let's just get it out of the way. Either they're into it or they're not. Um, So yeah, but yeah, it was great. It was nice that everyone, you could tell pretty fast. You're like, okay, Uh, people, people are on board. This, uh, this is doing what they want. So. It's awesome. Yeah, it's nice. it's awesome. Well, yeah, I'm I'm excited to check it out. I, I think it's everything you're saying is like uh music to my ears. It's like we're referencing <laughs> Betty Alvarez's Evil Dead and you know, it's yeah. there's there's so much that that stands out. Um one of the things you obviously about Last Shift is it found its life on streaming largely. Mm-hmm. Um I don't even remember if it did come out theatrically, I don't remember it doing it. And I think that would be most uh most people's reaction, but on streaming obviously mm-hmm. found a huge life of its own um you mentioned format as a cinematographer you're going through and you're shooting knowing like a select group of people are going to watch this on the big screen even if that's a large select group of people it's a select group of people are going to see it on the screen the majority are going to see it on netflix hulu shutter wherever its final place is that it's it sits um as you're shooting are you thinking about those other formats. Cause I know that's a big headache for like sound designers where it's like, man, I did this amazing, this Dolby surround sound, you know, mix yeah. for this. And it's going to be watched on iPhone somewhere. Like, um, mm-hmm. is that affecting decisions you're making as you're shooting? Or is it just purely like I'm shooting for theatrical the way it needs to be seen? Here it is. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I don't know. Like I, it's weird. I don't think too much about, format when i'm shooting like it really is just what what feels right to tell the story Mm -hmm. um and i guess i mean the weird thing is when you're shooting you know you're shooting you know you're most directors you're looking at like a 17 inch you're shooting this big anyway yeah 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 or yeah i mean if yeah if you're on a handheld one you got like a seven inch probably um and i will actually because i was operating uh on this and i do tend to like operating quite a bit um i will sometimes actually pop over to the to the village and take a look at a larger monitor just, just to kind of like remind yourself because looking through an eyepiece or a little five inch on the camera sometimes you can kind of forget to like to like think big right because you are looking at something yeah. smaller um 
So yeah, I mean, it is something that is on my mind to kind of remind yourself. But I mean, ultimately, when we're shooting it, you know, it is kind of on a TV <laughs> um, that you're right. watching. So yes, that is kind of the scale. But I don't think I ever really made a choice to be like, oh, this shot will look better on the big screen, but it might not work on a, yeah. you know, on, on at home or something. Hopefully it's just about like feeling what's right in the moment, no matter where you are. I mean, for me, framing is less of a concern between formats and it's honestly just more like shifts and luminance and contrast yeah. levels and things like that, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, hopefully people will watch it eventually on like the 4k HDR, like Blu-ray. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, Cause that's like, you know, watching it in HDR, uh, I really liked that that color hmm. pass on it. And the SDR looks great too. But I now that I like upgraded a few years back and I've got like an OLED and watching everything in HDR, going and watching things in Dolby, it's like those contrast levels are just so great, yeah. such rich and important for a movie like that. Yeah. It's like if you're yes, this, if your yeah. contrast is off, it can it can do some damage to a, a horror movie for yeah. sure. Yeah, so. but that, and yeah, and so and that's the nice thing is that we 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 did like an HDR pass and a whole and an SDR as well. So like they both, yeah, it translates very nicely. Um, Beautiful. So yeah, yeah, it was nice to see good projection. And yeah, we'll see. I'm gonna uh, check it out this weekend too. I want to go see it in like the one of the theaters that I go to all the time because I feel like I kind of know their yeah. projection. So I'm gonna go see how how their uh, stuff's looking. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I have a couple of questions to ask everybody at the end of the show, just to get everyone's, uh, everyone's input on it. And always curious by the variety of, of answers. What do you think is the best decade of film history? Uh, that's really tough. <laughs> that's always the response um, is always, ah, okay, I'm out. <laughs> I can't do yeah, this. I honestly don't know. I mean, that's the same thing. Like someone asked, like, what's your favorite movie? And I'm like, I don't know, like which genre, which director, I don't, like you know um that's tough i mean so a year that always comes back to me and it's not a decade but uh is it 2007 we got mm. assassination of jesse james and uh there will be blood in the same year um mm. and uh no country for old men yeah so, like those three movies i think are just so great and they're movies that i watch all the time um I don't know if that's the best decade. I can't remember. I'm also really bad with dates for movies. <laughs> that's my one movie uh, trivia thing that I'm like. That's a solid favorite. year. That's a solid yeah. year for sure. So I guess maybe the 2000s. <laughs> um, there's, I'm sure there was other good stuff in there too. Um, but that year, like that's one of those years that always sticks out to me. And I'm like, how did we get all three of those movies in the same year? If you were given the green light to remake any film or reimagine any film, mm. uh, what would you choose and why? Oof. Oh, that's also a tough one. Um, oh no. Um, interesting. Uh, you know, a, a buddy of mine uh, is also uh, he's a, a great director who I, I work with a lot. We're both big fans of uh, Seijin Suzuki, uh, who made like uh, there's this movie Tokyo Drifter. That's mm. uh, from like the '60s. Um, he's he's uh, not quite as well known as I think he should be, Seijin Suzuki, but he made these pretty wild. I mean, he made so many movies back in the kind of studio days where they would like make a movie every two weeks or something like that. Right. Pretty wild. And uh, it's got just such a cool style, like these kind of sets and matte paintings and things that, you know, kind of look like a set, but they kind of lean into it and it, it feels purposeful. Um, and I think there's, 
something you know that you could do really cool with really any of his movies um so yeah maybe maybe one of his would be fun to do also because like i feel like people don't know them as well so yeah i just added it to my list to check out um, yeah it's cool i think it's on criterium like a bunch of his stuff cool yeah. um I was going to ask what's a movie your diehard fans would be surprised you enjoy, but you enjoy everything. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I know pretty yeah. eclectic. So I'm going <laughs> to, I'll just jump that's, over it. <laughs> that's a tough one. Um, who do you think is the most underrated artist working today? Ooh, these are tough. Um, I know they don't get easier. They just get progressively harder. And then you go, I, yeah, most underrated art. I don't know. I'm worried. I'm going to, there's so many names to leave off seriously. the table. You know, I know. Um, hmm. I mean, also just my my brain. Like, to, I mean, that's why I like use something like Letterbox to like just track what I've been watching and things because I'll like, yeah, like wait, what did I watch last week? Um, I'll remember the details of the movie, but I like won't remember that I watched it last week. Um, most underrated working today. The problem is that, like, there's some people that I like in my mind. I don't think of them as underrated, but I feel like people just don't know them mm-hmm. um so like the director um corida who just did broker that came out mm-hmm. recently i feel like no one talked about broker um and his movies are just really great mm-hmm. very small human stories that are just really beautiful and just really well told all around like really great cinema that i think you could easily like miss the craft because it is so it doesn't draw any attention to itself um mm-hmm. So Broker this year, I feel like this was like such a good year, honestly. It was kind of um so part like looking back on it, I was like, man, we we had like I feel like there's a lot of stuff this year that's gonna be kind of classics that we'll talk about. You don't always get that every year. Right. Um so yeah, I feel I, but the thing is like a lot, I feel like there's people who know Coreda like very well. Um, but my guess would be that maybe not as widely known. So yeah, go check right. it out. Huh. Added to my his stuff. Added to my list. Um, yeah, you can't go wrong with any of his movies. They they're so good. Cool, cool. I'll check it out. Oh, and actually, sorry. There's another. This is I don't actually know. I think this is the first time I'm directed. There's a movie called Return to Soul um, that mm. came out this year. That is pretty amazing, and I, I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure it's the director's first movie, um, mm. and that one kind of blew me away. And also, again, I think in like some critic circles was talked about, but yeah, um, I feel like a lot of people missed and. I think it was just out pretty recently, so it might still be pretty easy to see. Cool, cool. Add it to my list. I've got three I'm going to yeah. check out from this, um, yeah. which is why I love these questions. Um, um, the the second to last question, which of your films do you think is the best representation of you as a creator? Um, is it a, is there a short that stands out? Is it, is it Malum? Is it, um, uh-huh. is it something that's yet to be seen? <laughs> what do you think is the best representation of your, your work? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's probably always just the last thing I did. Um, mm. I just feel like, you know, hopefully you're kind of growing and, and getting better and figuring out new tricks every, every time. So, um, yeah, probably right now, Malum, and then whatever I do next, it'll be that. Uh, hopefully, hopefully I'm just up in the game each time. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, last question. What is the best piece of advice you would give to an aspiring filmmaker who is listening to this? I always say there's no pressure. This could change someone's life completely. Yeah. They're going to say, this is the interview. I heard this statement. It changed my entire trajectory of my life. So what what's that advice? What's the life-changing uh, advice for someone aspiring to be a filmmaker? Yeah. 
Um, I don't know. I mean, for me, I just like I try to my the way I pick projects is a combination of you know liking the material, but also the people you work with. And mm-hmm. um, I work with a lot of the same directors repeatedly. I, a lot of my crew I've been working with for years and years and years, and those people become your friends and um, or are already were your friends, and then they become your kind of coworkers. Um, and to me, that that's like the best thing is is building that community of people. Like it, it really doesn't get much better than like being on set with people who you care about and are making something that's you know really fulfilling. And you're working such long days, like yeah. and spending so much time with these people. Better like be, them, you know, people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and I mean, it just feels like a, it feels like you're cheating almost somehow in life if you get to. Mm-hmm you know, get to do something you like and then have great people around you. So I yeah. guess that would be, yeah, just like find, find your, your people you like to work with and make sure, you know, you get to keep doing fun things with them. Cause that's, I mean, that's what it is. It's, it's like easy to, I think to get caught up in the goal of like hitting certain things or you want to make this or do that. And like, they'll always be that next thing. So mm-hmm. like try to like, remember to be present and the, you know, the opportunities you're getting to have now with the people you're working with. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I I know. Um, obviously, Malum is out in theaters uh, the thirty first. Um, it's gonna. Yeah. That's when it drops in theaters. I'm gonna try to rush this episode out so it it's uh, out tomorrow morning, so it's ready, so oh, people cool. can go go check it out. Yeah. Um, and uh, really really excited to check it out myself and and uh, and see all these different inspirations influences. Um, is there anywhere people can connect with you? kind of keep track of what you're working on or do you have any social accounts anything else you want to make sure people connect with just to kind of follow your journey and see what you're working on next sure yeah so uh, my site is just seanmcdaniel.dp.com and then uh, i'm on instagram sean m mcdaniel uh it's mostly just pictures like from me hiking and, and my cats and things like that but uh they'll be you know there's set photos and i'll post stuff when you know new projects have things going on when i'm allowed to so um, awesome. yeah, those are probably the best spots. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview and, and answering all these questions. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, look forward to checking out all these, uh, recommendations. So I've got some watching to do. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Hopefully uh, you also let me know, uh, how you like them there. There's some fun ones. I'll, I'll hit you up for sure. So thank you so much. And, uh, for anybody listening, be sure to check out Malum in theaters and, uh, yeah, uh, connect with Sean on social. Check out those hiking pictures. And uh, this is a reminder to watch 127 Hours because that's uh, the best hiking movie of all time. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Film School Podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, don't forget to leave a five-star review and hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. 